Today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, the word Pentecost, it means 50th, and it refers to the Jewish feast held 50 days after the second day of Passover. It was also called the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest. Pentecost was a day of thanksgiving to mark the end of the grain harvest. It was a holy Sabbath day unto the Lord. Jewish men were required by law to go to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate the major feast. Passover in the spring, Pentecost seven weeks and a day later, and in the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of harvest in the fall. Two loaves of bread uh, made of new wheat and two yearling lambs were offered to the Lord as a thank offering. This was a way of praising God for his grace and giving them a good harvest. Now, why is this Old Testament feast important to us as New Testament believers today? That's what we're going to talk about from the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, open it up to the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you have a pew Bible, that's page 830. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? How then is it that we hear them in our own language, in the language to which we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontia and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could these things mean? The title of the message this morning is Why Pentecost Matters. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather and to study your word. And as we study today, help us to lay aside the cares of life and to be fully present in this time in your word. Father, your word is living and active. And so today, let your word be living and active in our hearts. Let your word convict us where we need convicting. Let it strengthen us where we need strengthening. Let it equip us where we need equipping. And just overall, God... Change us to be the people that you want us to be. Father, let your Holy Spirit come and and just point our hearts and our minds fully upon this moment and this time and what's going on. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Don't let me in any way be a hindrance to what you want to see accomplished in your house today. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for all that you've given and all that you've done. Bless our time together, we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the events of the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 are the fulfillment of Jesus' promises to the disciples. 
He had told them to wait into Jerusalem until the promise from the Father came and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. In obedience to Jesus, the disciples had gathered, prayed, and waited until this promise of the Father had come. As the disciples waited and prayed, Jesus kept His Word and He poured out the Holy Spirit on those who were gathered together. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is merely the first demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work in and for the church of Jesus Christ. The, the book of Acts continually mentions that it is the Holy Spirit who does many great and mighty things on behalf of the believers for the church of Jesus Christ. Now today as we look at this, the central truth that I want us to understand is this. Is that God's plan for every believer is to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. God's plan for every believer is to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. And let me show you this from Acts 2 before we get into the rest of the book, or the rest of the chapter. Uh, excuse me, I don't want to scare you. We're not going to look at the whole book today, just one chapter. First, notice in, cha- in verse 3 of chapter 2. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and did what? And sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 4. Right now, this is significant as the Holy Spirit came. He fell upon each and every one of them. And at this point, Acts chapter 1 tells us there were about 150 believers. So when the Holy Spirit comes, He doesn't just fall on Peter so that He can get up and speak. When the Holy Spirit comes, He doesn't just fall on the the 12 apostles or the 11 apostles that are remaining so that they can go out and lead the church to do what needs to be done. Instead, what we're told in verse 3 is that He comes upon each of them. In verse 4, that all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. When you look at verse 17, it says that it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Right In verse 18, in my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And then if you flip over to verses 38 and 39, verse 38 towards the end, Peter says for them to re- repent. And be baptized in the name of the Jesus for the remission of sins. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. And the promise that he's referring to in verse 39 is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. But this promise that the Holy Spirit would come, it was something that, that Joel had prophesied about. That's verses 17 and 18. But the Holy Spirit is for all believers. Right? These initial believers were to receive the Holy Spirit. Their children, their grandchildren would receive the Holy Spirit. And as many believers as God would call to salvation from this time forward, every believer in Jesus Christ would receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a huge change from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon specific people for a specific task, usually for a very limited amount of time. But now that the day of Pentecost has fully come, the Holy Spirit, He would come upon all believers. And He would not only just come upon them to empower them to do things, but He would live within them. And and Jesus, in fact, He goes on to say that we would know the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul prays in 2 Corinthians that the communion of the Holy Spirit would be with us. So now we live in a day where a person who believes in Jesus Christ at that moment of conversion and belief in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He he fills us. He indwells us in our lives. And so the experiences of the Holy Spirit's power of his grace, of his goodness, of his works and his gifts are every bit as much for believers today as they were for believers 
in the Bible times. Right. But despite the fact the Holy Spirit and his power, work and gifts are for all believers of all times. Many believers today, we have little knowledge and little experience with the Holy Spirit in our lives. The late author and pastor A.W. Tozer made an observation about this. And he said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95 percent of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. What I want to do today is I want to give you three reasons from Acts chapter 2 why each one of us, we need to be spirit-filled and spirit-led according to God's plan for all of our lives. But the first is that the Holy Spirit empowers me. The Holy Spirit empowers me. The Holy Spirit empowers believers, and this empowering is for every believer. But we see the Holy Spirit empowering people all through the book of Acts, and particularly in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, we see it uh, explicitly when the Bible specifically says the Holy Spirit led them to do such things. We also see it implicitly where Luke doesn't necessarily say it was the Holy Spirit that empowered them to do it. But where when you read the rest of the Bible, you see that what they're doing is something that the Holy Spirit empowers people to do. Right. So in verse four, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit Gave them utterance, right? So what's going on in them speaking in other tongues? This is the Holy Spirit empowering them to do that. In verses 6 through 11, what we see is they're speaking in languages that are actual languages, right? They are unknown to the go- to those who are speaking, but they're actual languages on the earth. And so all of these people from all over the world who are Jews or had converted to Judaism have come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They are now hearing... The wonderful works of God proclaimed in their own native language by these people who did not know these languages before. So the Holy Spirit is empowering them to speak in other tongues. When you look at verse 11, you see that what they're speaking is the wonderful works of God. And I think it's likely that the thrust of the wonderful works of God had to do with the gospel. Right. Many of these people probably had not been around when Jesus died and rose again. They had not heard what we would call a gospel message. So now in their own language, the disciples, all 150, are speaking in tongues and they are declaring the wonderful works of God. It's probably a combination of praise and proclamation. They are praising God for the gift of Jesus Christ and the grace that has been given to them. They are proclaiming. The good news about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's all by the Spirit that this is happening. In verse 17 and 18, it tells us that that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, that, that people shall prophesy, that they shall see visions, that they shall dream dreams. Right again, this was what Joel said. Joel, in the Old Testament, he said that when the day comes that the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, he will empower people to do Certain things right now, those are the ones that are explicit. It specifically says the spirit empowers these people. But then there's several that are implicit. Right? if you look at verse 14, it says Peter standing up with the eleven. He he raised his voice and he said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you 
and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour. But what was spoke? But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, what's significant about this is this is a time of confusion. There are some that are amazed and perplexed. There's others that are making fun of them. But now Peter, he stands up and he boldly proclaims that this is of God, that this is what God wants to happen and what God has always promised. The reason this is significant is that Peter, just like the rest of the disciples at at Jesus's arrest, he ran away. Right When Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples fled. They all hid. Peter, beyond that, he, he went to watch the arrest. And while he was up there, they said, hey, you're a Galilean. You're a follower of Jesus. Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And three different times, Peter denied that he knew Jesus. He even called down curses on his head saying that he did not know Jesus. But now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out... Peter is a different person. There's no more running. There's no more hiding. There's no more denying that he knows Jesus. Instead, there is just standing up boldly and declaring the gospel message that this is what God said would happen. The Holy Spirit changed him in this moment. Right? We see in verse 37 that when they heard all of these words, that they were, they were cut to the heart. But Peter's message, it struck home with them because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter's preaching so that it would convict the people of their need for Jesus. But these people, they had no clue. All of this was such a radical change from anything they had ever heard or believed. But as they listened to Peter, something within them just said, this is right. This is of God. And it was the Holy Spirit making Peter's preaching effective. And then in verse 43, it says that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now that the Holy Spirit has come upon them, there are many signs and wonders that are being performed by the apostles. Prior to Pentecost, the apostles really don't do miracles. I mean, they, they cast out a few demons and they, they heal a few people, but they don't do any of that consistently. But now, the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Everything changes. From this moment on, they will consistently have a ministry that is filled with miracles and supernatural acts. The church in the book of Acts, it goes forward from here. And we see the dead being raised. We see the, the lepers being cleansed. We see the, the cripple being able to walk. And we see the, those who are oppressed by demons being set free. And all of this was empowered and able to do because of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. The Holy Spirit that empowered people in the book of Acts, He empowers people today. That is a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to believers in our day. It's to empower us to do the things that God would have us to do. Now, the Bible speaks in so many ways about what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that we do not have time to cover them all. But in one way in particular, and in this way, I wanted to give this one because it shows to me the best that's a change that the Holy Spirit brings. And that is through spiritual gifts. But the, the Bible tells us that when we're saved, that we are given a, a spiritual gift, something that God gives us to do in order to serve Him, to serve His church. And it's 
typically not something we did before. Right? It is a new thing that God puts into our lives so that we can go out and serve Him. And you could read like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4. They all give lists. And the lists are all a little bit different. And I'm going to tell you what I think about the lists. I think the lists give us an idea. But I don't think even all three lists together is an exhaustive amount of all of the gifts the Holy Spirit gives to believers. I think it's meant to show that there is a wide variety of ways that the Holy Spirit will equip us to serve Jesus, will empower us to do His will. But in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that there are, there are diversities of gifts. Right? So, however many people there are in here today, there's a diversity of gifts. We're, we don't all have the same spiritual gift. We don't all aren't equipped by God to do the same things for the church. But the same Spirit, right? So all of these gifts, they're given by the exact same Holy Spirit. There are differences of ministries and diversities of activities. right? So we, even those that have the same gifts aren't necessarily going to use them in exactly the same ways. But that's okay. It's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, I want to key in on that last part. Right? The, the gifts that are given to us, they're not meant for us to show off. Right? The Holy Spirit does not give us spiritual gifts so that we can do them and people will go, Whoa, look how great they are. They're awesome. That's not the point. It's not to exalt us. The Holy Spirit doesn't give us these spiritual gifts so that we can go off without the church and it's just us and Jesus, baby, and we got it going on. Instead, the Holy Spirit, He gives me a gift for the profit of others around me. The Holy Spirit gives you a gift for the profit of others within the church. That, that's the way it's always supposed to work. Is that together, none of us together, none of us alone, I mean, has all the spiritual gifts that are needed to reach the people in Guyman, Oklahoma. But together... If we all find and use our spiritual gifts together, we have every gift we need to do everything that God wants our church to do. That's the way God intended for it to be. But regardless of how it works, it is the same spirit that works in all these things. And he distributes to each one individually as he wills. So it's the Holy Spirit that makes the choice to give us a spiritual gift. He, when we call upon Jesus to save us, the Holy Spirit comes and He lives within us. And at that time, He imparts a spiritual gift to us. And it's not necessarily one that we would choose. And it's not necessarily one that we get to pick. Instead, it is one that the Holy Spirit, in His sovereignty as God, determines is needed where we are at the time. But, and it may, it may not be... Anything like we would have ever imagined. I've mentioned before that before I felt God was calling me to preach, I never liked to speak in public. But before I felt like God was calling me to preach, I, when I took speech classes, I would get sick, physically sick, all night the night before. Because just talking in front of people made me violently ill. But when I felt the Holy Spirit, when I felt God was calling me to preach, even then for a while it still kind of felt the same way. But now I know this is what God called me to do. Now, if I had just written a list and said, what are the spiritual gifts I have? Public speaking, preaching, I would never have thought that. Because it just wasn't in my nature. It wasn't in my natural wiring. 
But God didn't call me to do what was natural. He called me to do what was supernatural. He didn't call me to do what I would do on my own. He called me to do something that would lead me to have to rely upon Him or it would not be done effectively. It's going to be the same with you. Whatever God calls you to do, what He has given you the spiritual gift to do, it's not necessarily going to be something that you naturally do. It's not necessarily going to be something that you're comfortable doing. It is going to be something that requires you to depend upon Him. It is going to be something that when you do it, you say, I do this because of the work of God, the work of the Spirit of God in my life. God's will for every one of us is that we would be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered to serve Him through the gifts that we have been given. Secondly, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to me. So Peter is, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he begins to preach. And in verse 17 through 21, he's explaining that what's going on is all of God. That is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That about the day that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. But notice quickly that he turns the message to Jesus. Right, Peter, under the inspiration and the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, he begins almost instantly to proclaim Jesus Christ to these people. Right, in verses 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know him being delivered By the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Now, I want to stop here because it's important that we see what Peter says in verse 23. Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. But that means that Jesus' death on the cross was always a part of the plan. Jesus wasn't a martyr for the cause. It's not poor, pitiful Jesus that he came and did good things and yet people rejected him and killed him. It is Jesus, the Savior who came to die and pay the penalty for our sins. Right? I mean, we have to understand that everything that happened, he came knowing everything that would happen to him. He knew all about it. And yet he still did it for us. Man, we we cannot ever get over the gospel. We cannot ever get over the cross. We never move beyond all the sacrifice of our Savior. But he died according to the purpose, determined, and foreknowledge of God. But whom God raised up, having loosed from the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be held by just as Jesus' death was a part of the plan. His resurrection was also a part of the plan. Right in verse 25 through 28, he explains the Old Testament, even prophesied about the fact that Jesus would rise from the dead. Uh, I guess verse 29 through 31 goes along with that as well. That Jesus would rise from the dead. That this was just as much a part of the plan as His death was. Now, then in verse 32, this Jesus, God has raised up, which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. 
Right, So Jesus died according to the plan. He rose according to the plan. And now that He has been exalted to the highest heavens, He is pouring out the Holy Spirit on His church. Now this something I think is really significant. right? Because a lot of times the idea of when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's almost given that there's a, there's a contest. right? There's, we pit one against the other. That if we talk about Jesus, we're neglecting the Holy Spirit. If we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're neglecting Jesus. But that's not the way it works. In all honesty, when the Holy Spirit comes, what He does is He reveals Jesus. Right? Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in turn, reveals Jesus to the people who are around. It's not, they're not pitted against each other. They, they work harmoniously together. Right? There is no competition between Jesus and the Holy Spirit to see who gets to be the focus. They each do what is basically their role within the Trinity. All three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they all work together perfectly. There's no jealousy. There's no animosity. One doesn't try to exalt himself at the expense of the other. Where the Holy Spirit is focused on, Jesus will be revealed because that's what the Holy Spirit does when he works. When the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out upon all flesh, part of what he does is he points people to Jesus. Right. So we need not be afraid of focusing on the spirit and think we're going to go off into left field and miss Jesus. No, we never leave Jesus where the Holy Spirit works. Jesus has always revealed people are always drawn closer to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who pours out the Holy Spirit on all people. In verse thirty eight. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That Jesus has been exalted to the highest heaven. He has been given a name that is above every name. And the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ cannot be defeated. The Holy Spirit reveals that Jesus is great and awesome and worthy of our praise. And then in verse thirty. That was verse 36, verse 38, 37. They are cut to the heart. Right And here again is the Holy Spirit at work. See, it's not only the Holy Spirit that works and empowers Peter to preach. It's also the Holy Spirit that works inside of the hearers to make it real to them. Right, the Holy Spirit, when the word of God is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit works outwardly and inwardly. He works outwardly through the one proclaiming and inwardly through the hearer to make it real. You think about it in your life. How many of us, the very first time we heard the gospel, we surrendered and gave our lives to Jesus Christ? Probably not many of us. For most of us, we heard the gospel more than once. I grew up in church. I've joked before that if our family came to church so often that if the preacher was going to wash the windows, we filled our pew so that we could watch him. And we were always there. And I was 19 before I ever ever really embraced Jesus Christ as my Savior. All the rest of that time, I heard the messages, and I heard about His death, and I heard about sin, and I heard about all of those things, but none of it ever meant anything to me. But then there was a day where suddenly, when He talked about sin and salvation and the need for Jesus, on this one day, suddenly I realized that meant me. I had sinned. I needed Jesus. I needed salvation. What caused that? It was the Holy Spirit working within me to reveal Jesus to me. Right? And this is a part of the Holy Spirit's work 
in our lives. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, that he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, convict, I want to focus on that word. A lot of times when we think of the word convict, we think of to be made guilty. Right? And in essence, that is kind of what it means. But it's not the guilt that we tend to think of. Right? It's not the guilt that your mom gives you when you take her grandkids across the state. Right? It's the kind of guilt that comes in a court of law. In a court of law, a judge issues a verdict that you are guilty. And that guilt is irrespective of how you feel about it. It doesn't matter if you feel guilty or not. You are legitimately, legally guilty. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't come and make you feel bad. It's not about a feeling. It's about a recognition of a fact. So uh, possibly a better word for convict would be convince. He convinces us that we're guilty. Uh, he, he makes us realize something we had never realized before. That we are guilty of sin. Right, that, that when it comes to right and wrong, we have indeed done wrong. That when it comes to the court of heaven, if we were to stand before God in judgment, and in the moment when the Holy Spirit does this, we know that the Holy Spirit, that we would stand there, the Holy Spirit makes us realize that in that moment we would say, I am guilty. I deserve the wages of sin. He convinces us of the guilt of that we have because of our sin. He also convinces us about righteousness. He convinces us that we are without righteousness. You know, most people live and act as though they're okay. Ray Comfort often says that an unbeliever has as much desire for righteousness as a four-year-old boy does for a bath. Typically, I think that's about right. right? We, we go through life and we think we're righteous. We think we're good enough. We're, we're fine just like we are. But once the Holy Spirit has convinced us we're guilty of sin, we are overwhelmed with the reality that we have no righteousness of our own. But it's at this point that the words of Isaiah that our righteousness are as filthy rags. It overwhelms us and we know, good grief, I am not good enough. I am not righteous in the court of heaven. I, I have no righteousness of my own if I stand before the Lord. But he also reveals to us where we can find real righteousness. Right? See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come and say, you're wrong. He points us to the place where we can be made right. He says, you have sinned and you have no righteousness, but Jesus can give you His righteousness if you'll go to Him. Right? And so He, he brings this down upon us so that He can lead us to the direction of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, we have a choice to make. Will we turn to Jesus or will we reject Jesus? And I wish I had put it in my notes, but later on in the book of Acts, somebody else preaches and it says that they were cut to the heart. Exact same phrase. And these people are cut to the heart and they say to Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? Right. They're cut to the heart and they're like, we want to turn to Jesus, man. What do we need to do to to take this guilt away from us, to have righteousness where there's sin? So they they're going to follow Jesus. But later in the book of Acts, 
a group of people are also cut to the heart. This same this same thing has happened to them. The Holy Spirit has convinced them of their guilt. And the Bible says that they stop up their ears and they run upon the guy and they take him out and they stone him. They kill him because he preached something that made him mad. I'm actually opposed to that response in case anybody's wondering. But the choice, the, the reality is just because we feel the Holy Spirit convict us or convince us, that doesn't mean we're saved. That means we've been made aware of the reality that we need Jesus. At that point, we have to choose where are we going. Am I going to go to Jesus and receive salvation? Or am I going to run from Jesus? But make no mistake. Every time the Holy Spirit convinces us of something from the Word, we always choose. Today, every person in here will make a choice about Jesus in one way or another. God's Word has such power and the Spirit works through God's Word in such a way that we always choose. We always make a choice. We either choose to follow the Spirit's leading to Jesus or we follow our flesh away from Jesus. But we always choose. When we choose to follow the Spirit's leading, He leads us to Jesus. Where our sins are taken away, we are filled with the Spirit. We're given new life. That is, of course, God's will for all of us. But the Spirit convincing us of things to draw us closer to Jesus, that's not a one-time thing. That's not something that only happens at salvation. I mean, how many of you in here have been believers for a while and yet you've been convicted before by the Word? That's right. It happens over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit's ministry of revealing Jesus to us, it never ends while we're in this life. There's always more about Him we can know. There's always more that we can do to be like Him. There's always issues that need to be worked on. And so the Holy Spirit is constantly at work within us, revealing Jesus to us, bringing us to a place where we have to choose. Will I go to Jesus or will I run from Jesus? God's plan for each and every one of us, is that we would be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led and we would let the Spirit lead us closer and deeper with Jesus all of the time. And then finally, the Holy Spirit builds the church. One of the things that you find in the book of Acts is that believers are always a part of the church. When people come to know Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, they always join with a church that Jesus is starting. And that's the example that we see here. But in verse 37, they're cut to the heart and they ask what we should do. Peter tells them they should repent, everyone, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40, it says for... With many other words, he testified and exhorted uh, them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were, were added to the church. But in this day, there, this is Acts 2, it's not only the day the Holy Spirit comes down, but it's the birth of the church as we kind of know it. And the Holy Spirit, when, when he came down, he, he birthed a church. 
He didn't come into all of these people and then they all walk off and be lone rangers that did their own thing. Well, I've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I don't need anything else. No, instead, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and came in them, they began to say, we we need each other. Uh, We need one another. And it goes on in verse 42, and it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. At the moment this church was birthed and these people all came to know Jesus Christ, they realized we we need each other. Right? What, what, what God is doing in our lives is different than the world around us. We need each other for strength, for help, for encouragement, for teaching. And they came together. And if you look at verse 46. So continuing. What's that word? Daily. With one accord. In unity. In the temple. Breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Man, this this group of believers, they realized they need each other so badly that they didn't just come together once a month. And they didn't just gather together for teaching and fellowship and praying every so often if it fit their schedules. They came together every day. Every day, groups of believers got together. And talked about Jesus and what he was doing in their lives. Every day, groups of believers got together and shared a meal to deepen their relationship with one another. Every day, groups of believers got together and they prayed together for each other, for the success of the gospel, for others who were suffering. Every day, they gathered together. That's what the church did. This church, Jesus and the Holy Spirit had changed them to such an extent that verse 44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among anyone as they had need. The Holy Spirit had made such a change in their life and they had come together with such a commitment to Jesus and one another that they practiced a radical form of generosity. Where there was a lack, someone else stepped up and said, I'll take care of it. To the point that they sold possessions, right? So if someone had two houses, they sold one and gave the money to the apostles to, dim and, or to, to dish out to people who needed it. They sold property, they sold stuff so that everybody would have their provisions taken care of. That's, that's the kind of devotion that the Holy Spirit produced in this church at this time. Verse 47 says, and as they praised God... And they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to what? To the church daily. All who are being saved. There is no picture in the New Testament church for believers who aren't a part of the church. There is no picture in the New Testament of believers who or people who get saved And then do not join with the church who do not devote themselves to the church to serve Jesus and to do his will through the ministry of the church. In fact, this is a part, but go ahead and flip over to flip over to uh, first John chapter two, verse 19. John is dealing with people who left the church. They 
they have gone out and have followed after false teachers and they've gone away. And first John two and 19, John says they went out from us. But notice. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. To John, who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a believer who leaves the church demonstrates that in all actuality, they were never really a believer to begin with. That's the New Testament position on the importance of the church in the life of a believer. According to the Bible, those who feel no need for the church do so because they really don't know Jesus to begin with. There is no picture in the Bible of a believer who is not active and involved in serving through the church. That's what the Holy Spirit builds. He doesn't build lukewarm believers. He doesn't build Lone Ranger believers. He builds a body comes together, devoted to Jesus, serving one another, doing God's will to expand the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what the Holy Spirit builds. That's what he wants to build here in our lives, in our day, still, just as he did then. Now, verse 43 is interesting. Then fear came upon every soul. As the people spoke in tongues... As thousands were saved, those who were unbelievers, there was fear towards the church. Now, that's interesting, right? And this isn't the only place we see it. There's a couple of other places in the book of Acts where unbelievers fear the church. So I got to think, what does that actually mean that they're afraid of the church? And the picture of fear, it it carries with it the idea of, of awe. And what's happening is... The unbelievers are seeing this change. They're seeing the Holy Spirit empower people. They're they're hearing this message about Jesus. They're seeing souls saved and lives changed. And they recognize that there is something happening in that group of people that is not natural. There is something happening in that group of people that can't be explained by any natural means. These thousands of people, they weren't saved because Peter was eloquent. Right, these thousands of people, they're not saved because there was a rockin' band. Right, these thousands of people, they're not saved because this church, they had just the right programs. Instead, there is a, a move of a mighty God who is doing something significant there. And they are in awe that there is something going on that they cannot explain in any natural means. Man, don't you, don't you long to see... People in awe of the church because it can't be explained what's happening. They can't say, well, it's because the preacher's a good speaker or the the music is really great or they've got just this right youth program that's all going. But instead, there's just there's just something that's God oriented, something that human nature cannot explain that's going on there. That's what happened throughout the book of Acts. That's how the Holy Spirit built. I believe that's what God longs to do in our day as well. God's plan is that we would be spirit-filled and spirit-led and a part of a church that's making a difference in the world around us. 
I've been reading through the book of Acts. My daily Bible reading is, is in the book of Acts. And, and I discovered something recently that I thought was interesting. And I don't know how much weight to give it other than to say it's, it's interesting. But later on, there's a point to where the apostles would go to a place and there's already a group of believers gathered there. And they didn't preach to them. And so they're trying to find out if they're believers, if they're truly believers. And when they ask a question, they don't say, have you prayed to receive Jesus into your heart? It's not what they say. They ask them instead, have you received the Holy Spirit? It's interesting, right? Have you received the Holy Spirit? So the question for us today maybe isn't, have you prayed a prayer? But have you received the Spirit into your life? And before we we quickly just say, well, of course I have. What evidence do you have of that? Because where the Holy Spirit comes, he always does something. But what what do you do? That's different than you did before you prayed your prayer. What do you do that's out of your comfort zone that requires the Spirit of God to empower you, to strengthen you to do it? What, what gifts do you operate in, do you use in your life that you didn't have before you became a follower of Jesus Christ? Has there ever been a point in your life where you were cut to the heart and, and your question was, what do I need to do? Without, without hesitation... Without, without qualifiers. What do I need to do as long as it's not that? They, they didn't do that. Have you ever been brought to, to that level of repentance where you said, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm going to do that no matter what it is. How is the Holy Spirit working in your life today to reveal Jesus to you now? How are you growing closer to Him? How is the Holy Spirit bringing you to be active and involved as a part of a body of believers? To serve the Lord and advance the gospel in their community. We're going to look in the next few weeks at other stuff the Bible says the Holy Spirit does. But but these are just the ones from Acts 2. What do you see in your life that gives you confidence that you have received the Holy Spirit? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, He changes things. He does things in us and through us and for us. And if we've received the Holy Spirit, we should be able to point. Definite things. And if we can't point to definite things, then what we need to do today is we need to cry out to the Lord. Father, help me to either be saved if that's the need. Help me to be aware of the Holy Spirit's leading so that I can follow him. Help me to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can do what you want me to do. But friend, if there's no evidence of the Spirit in your life, That is a for sure problem because it is God's will for every believer to be spirit filled and spirit led in their lives. Let's all stand as our musicians come forward.